Welcome to Word is Truth. We are continuing where we left off. This is Doug Presley. It is 12-27-2020, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Thought of the week, take it from John, chapter 10, verse 20-29. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my hand. The first thing to consider is that in Jesus' mind, he knows that if he gives them eternal life, they should never perish. Do you think they will perish? Well, Jesus did not. The thing given was with, well, Jesus, did not. The thing given of eternal life seems to confirm that they will never perish. Also, the word translated never is interesting in the Greek, never. Ume. A double negative threatens the denial. Not at all. Anymore. At all. By any no means neither, never, no at all, and in no case why, nor ever, not at all, at all, in any wise, definitely strong. The use of these conjunctions together makes an even stronger assertion. After receiving eternal life, heritage is not, is not something that would ever happen under any circumstances. Then he goes on to draw an analogy that only makes us feel more secure. The picture is that those who are given eternal life are in his hand. Christ did all the work necessary for them to be saved. Their salvation depends on Christ, which is why they are in his hand. His responsibility from the scripture, Christ the Savior, has, has the ability to save those who trust in him and give them eternal life. Think of John chapter 17, verse 2. For Christ to tell us that those to whom he has given eternal life or in his hands tell us that they are saved and are secure forever. If they are in Christ's hands, then they stand on all four based on the merits of Christ, not on our vassalization, morality, or supposed obedience. God does not expect us to spread our eternal life, our eternal life, labor to receive the, life, the gift of salvation. At that same time, at the same time, we need to be sure that we have received a salvation before we move forward. Take it from the thought of the week. So we have eternal life. Once you're saved, always saved. As the scripture says, no one be snatched about it by hand. So the question is, do you believe this? So like John says that we are removed from the wrath of God. We have we also receive eternal life. 
this is something that will last forever as we live here, based upon what the word is said. But if you do not believe this, you should not receive life. And the wrath of God will remain that you do. So this is what I'm getting at is the thought of the week taken from today's service. So at this time we have the white give us prayer. Thank you very much, Steve. All right, I'd like to offer prayer on behalf of our families, extended families, and if we have special requests, um, just keep them in mind as, as I go through our prayer, for God knows what we ought to pray even before we utter it out of our mouth. Let us bow our heads. Dear Father and Father in heaven, thank you for all that you have done for us, not only the security of salvation, but the growth that we have available to us in grace. It's not of ourselves, it is through the gift that you have given us, the gift of the spirit of the truth, whose job is to guide us into all truth, to happily doing that and joyfully. Let us not grieve him, but open the ears and eyes of our heart um, to pay attention to every word. For we know man did not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'd like to offer a prayer for those who are struggling in this world. We know this world is not the end all be all, um, that you have plans for us afterwards. And that is, um, that is what is more important that is where we should be placing our treasure. But while we are in this earth, we do have hardships, whether it's health-wise with COVID-19, the pandemic, or other health reasons, financial reasons, or situations that we run into. You know um, what we face, Father, and we ask you for your protection and for your guidance through these things. And um, at the same time, I'd like to offer a prayer of praise um, for a friend of mine who is recently coming to put his trust in you. And um, it is somebody that a couple of years ago did not want to hear anything about um, the Bible or you. So it's, it's truly amazing what the Holy Spirit can do in each of our souls and let us never give up. Um, we have a tremendous hope to hold on to. I pray for the Word of Truth Church uh, on this call, all of our members, and the universal church, the church worldwide, the true believer, the body of Christ that is um, part of you, as you are part of us, you are in us. We, um, we ask that you would um, give us protection from the distractions of this world and, and help us to focus on what is crucial in, uh, in our knowledge and in our growth and in our, even our identity in Christ. Sanctify us by your word, for your word is truth. We pray for wisdom and enlightenment and proper motivation to not only grasp these deep things of God, but that we would love one another and speak the truth in love and let us be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace and let us walk in the spirit of truth and in fellowship with each other and with God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight. Appreciate that. And thank you for um, to Dave as well. We're continuing where we left off. Um, you should have notes. It is uh, John fifteen fifteen today. 
And it reads, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I've, made, I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. So we're going to dig in, pull your notes out. Let's look into it, see what we can get from this verse. In your notes, there is a special camaraderie between those who share the hope of our unique calling. Even though Christ is Lord, the, re the relationship is not entirely based on his lordship. It is a common cooperative understanding. We certainly respect his lordship and willingly submit to him, but we have come to know our eternal destiny as well. We have understood and accepted our role in the Father's eternal purpose. Our lives here do not have meaning and purpose apart from the hope of our calling. Just as Christ said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Uh, that's John 6.38. And so our will is to do his will. Christ said he had much more to tell us, and that is realized as we are able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It's Ephesians 3.18. So we have this verse ahead of us. Uh, I'd like to take some time to see whether or not we can review it and come to some thoughts around what is meant by Jesus, by friendship. Now, this is not our first verse in this series where we're talking about friendship, but we, hopefully you incorporate all that we have discussed already, and more importantly, the context of John 15 is important for us in our understanding of how we see and interpret what Jesus is saying. So let's break it down as we can. Uh, the first phrase, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. So the first thought is compared to the hidden deep knowledge shared with us in this age, we can classify Israel in the category of servants. So that's an interesting way to look at because, I mean, for us to make that comparison, we could sound arrogant. We could say, yeah, what we have is, hey, this is the deep things. What they had, no, that's, uh, that wasn't any deep thing. That was something, you know, milk or whatever. That's one thing if we make that analogy on our own. But we did not make that analogy. Christ made it. They're servants. We are friends. Now, of course, there are some conditions to our friends, and we'll get to that later. But notice, that is the analogy Jesus makes. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. What do we have? The Bible says that things that I have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. That's the things that we have. So Israel... In my, in my understanding of who servants are, would be Israel. That's previous dispensation. Because they were not privy to these things. Uh, so let's keep moving forward in our notes and we'll see if we can get to them. 
So if we have the deep things of God, that's 1 Corinthians 2, which it says, what did Israel have? <laughs> no, that's 2, I think it's 10. I don't know if I failed to fill that in, but you can get that from the whole 1 Corinthians 2 if we look in that passage. But I, just for your documentation, I'll make sure we give it. 1 Corinthians 2, and if we look at <clears throat> where it says, um, verse 10, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. I'm filling in verse 10 on my notes. So if we have the deep things of God, and that is through the Spirit, I'm just saying, what did Israel have? And I'd have to conclude that it was the milk. Yeah. Israel had the milk. The milk of the word is related to salvation and the foundation of salvation. A good understanding and footing in that area. Uh, I, I can say that Israel's feast days, their, uh, you know, their tabernacle worship and services were all around them understanding the righteousness of God and his holiness, and, you know, how God's plan was a substitutionary sacrifice on their behalf, and, you know, all the different elements that were in the sanctuary, the holy place, the most holy place. I mean, all these things depicted the milk of the word. I know people are very, very intrigued with that. And the detail of, oh, did you know there was a holy place? And inside the holy, what was in the holy place? Oh, what was in the Ark of the Covenant? Oh, man, this is happening. All these questions and, and intrigue around Israel's worship services. Well, compared to what we have, the deep things of God, <laughs> they had the milk. Point number C in our notes, for what was glorious notice it was glorious has no glory now well when we compare it to the surpassing glory that's second corinthians 3 10 and you can read the other verses that are around there too to talk about now the ministry that brought death which was written and engraved in letters on stone came with glory how much more right paul is using those a fortiori metaphors like, if it stands to reason, it's so much greater that we have now, right? Logic. Well, that is exactly how he's seeing this, as what they had is, I don't want to say it was nothing, but it is nothing compared to what we have, when you compare it to what God has. And there, he, another one was, if that was, this is all in Second Corinthians 3. He says, if what? Uh, they had with Moses it came with, with with glory and it was transitory mean, meaning it's temporary it doesn't last and then when you compare that to what we have and that which really does in fact bring righteousness and does last at last I mean think about it it's something that's temporary something that endures throughout eternity what is more important? Paul is making that point to the Jews, and uh, they were missing it. They said every time, every time the, the uh, Moses is read, <laughs> a glaze comes over their eyes. They're like, oh, Israel. 
Israel, you know, my dearly beloved home, you know, my tradition, my culture, you know, they just felt so warm every time the, the law is read. And then Paul was saying, I got to shake you out of that because there's something so much more glorious. You're missing the surpassing glory. So point D, moving forward, is that, it's that the disciple, so, so no longer call you servants. So he says, I no longer call you servants. So uh, at one time, they were called service, servants. So we sh should understand that the disciples overlapped both dispensations. They were of Israel. Yeah, they were all Jews. None of them were Gentiles, just to note. But they would now soon be in the foundation of the church. That's Ephesians 2.20. The church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. And, you know, God is, doesn't matter. He says, he's, you know, uh, in Christ there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, no Greek, no slave, no free, no, no so, you know, uh, person who's cultured or non-cultured. None, none of those distinctions matter in Christ. And so now the disciples are the foundation of the church, who uh, one of the major tenets is that, right? And none of that stuff that Israel had. You know, it's being circumcised and, you know, of this tribe and, you know, all of those things that pertain to Israel, you know, they don't matter for the church. So he says, no longer call you servants. And that's saying that he did call them servants at one time because that is who they were. They were of Israel. But now as Christ pivots and turns to the church and starts, you know, laying the foundation for the church, he's telling them, I, I used to call you servants. I'm not even going to call you that anymore because the servants, right, they don't know the master's business and they don't have uh, the privilege of this revelation that's coming. We'll get more to it as we dig in. But notice that is the case. The disciples straddled both dispensations. They had, and, and many times that's what's happening with people today. You know, you talk to them and all they know is about Israel. They don't understand any functioning of the church and how, what God has called us to. And they try to merge what happened with Israel with what happens in the church, and it becomes a mess, not a merge. So, so the disciples overlapped both dispensations, and they were of Israel, and now they would soon be the foundation of the church. I hope you get that point. That's an important one. Point E, servant does not know his master's business. This is just a deal. This is, and this is, I, I can only say this is related to the mystery. The mystery revealed is the eternal purpose of God, the intents of his heart, which were completely hidden from Israel. We look at Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. I want to turn there. Not that we haven't heard these words and verses before. But I just want to point out that um, his intent, when we say his intent, that is an inside word. That is not an outside word. Somebody could do something, but you might not know why they did it. And, and that's important to know why somebody did what they did. We know that from our crime, the, the, the numerous uh, 
detective and lawyer shows that are on TV. There's part they glorify being a lawyer these days, and from that we know that yeah, a person may have committed what seems to be a crime, but we don't know why they did it. But if we learned why they did it, it might matter. In fact, that my person might walk out of court as a free person. It's not even the crime, whatever it was, may not be a crime because of the intent that was in that person's heart. That's important. We don't want to just go by these verses as, you know, oh, yeah, this is, this is the intent. Now, through the church, a manifold wisdom. There's a lot to talk about in this verse. But notice the first thought here. It's his intent. You don't get that from God, necessarily. You don't have to get that. God doesn't have to share what was he thinking when he did something. He doesn't have to share that with you. But just notice, he does share that with us. That's a part of our destiny, is to know what God was thinking when he did something. And part of what he did is going to be related to us, we should know, and our purpose. So we, we have an important role in the plan of God. And so we have information about what happened before time began. Right? There was this period that we don't know about. that We call that eternity past. Well, what was eternity past? Before the creation of all things. And we don't think God began and then just created all things. We think God always existed. This is what we believe about God, that he's eternal. Well, what was he doing before he decided to create all things? Well, that's the subject here that is being shared with us. His intent, right? That's, that was his intent from eternity past. And this is what we're seeing in time. It may be hard for you to wrap your faith around, but it is what the Bible teaches. Yeah. We, we have to choose to believe it. God, the Holy Spirit, will present it to us as truth, as reality. We have to wrap our faith around it and say, yes, that is true. This is the reality of God. He did this. He was thinking this. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose. Now, his eternal purpose is what comes out of his intent. What did he want to do? What, what was in the mind of God in the first place that led him to crafting an eternal the eternal purpose happened before the creation of all things. So the eternal purpose is why we have all things. The creation is a result of the eternal purpose. So we don't want to turn that around and say, well, God created all things and then he came up with what he wanted to do with all things. No, he already knew what he wanted to do with all things. That's why he created all things. We have words here that are dripping with what is in God's heart. And when we have the mystery, God, these are just some of the terms that are called. 
the deep things of God, right? things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard. How could you have seen what was in the heart? You weren't here, nobody. Unless God tells us what his intents, the intents and the purposes in his heart are, you can't know them. You could search, you could try to investigate it. There's nothing you can know about this information unless God reveals it. That's it. You can't search ancient writings or dig up rocks of ancient civilizations. Whatever you find will not help you. God has to reveal what the intents of his heart are. And that's what he's done in mystery. So that's what God is saying here. He says, uh, I no longer call you servants because the servant doesn't know his master's business. Well, you know, master's business, intents of his heart, all those things are important for us. We do know. So the mystery revealed is the eternal purpose of God. The intents of his heart, which were completely hidden from Israel. And then there's Colossians 2, 2 and 3, which... We've also read, hopefully, we, we haven't read them in, in this light, right? So my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. This is what we have. Or you could say those are the deep things of God. How come he didn't give them before if they, they were the full riches of complete understanding? Why didn't he give them to the people? Why didn't Adam get them? How about Job? How come he didn't get him? Why didn't Abraham get him? After all, he's Abraham, father of faith. Surely he would have believed him. But we have them. They were hid in God, says Ephesians 3.10. Hid in God. So in order that they may know the mystery. So, so now, if we know the full riches of complete understanding, well, what is that? That's the mystery of God, namely Christ. What God planned before time began in Christ. That's what he did. In whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, all that information was not given to people in other dispensations, other generations, other, the sons of men. You could go on. There's other passages that describe who will be the recipients of this message. Paul is laying it out here and look, notice that's his goal, that they get this information. That's God's goal. It's not just Paul's goal. God the Father wants us to have this. Paul isn't spilling some beans that he's not supposed to spill. He's supposed to tell us because it belongs to us. This is information that pertains to us. So point F in our notes if you keep your head in the sand of Israel, you may still be ignorant of the calling we have received in the church. And for that, it's Romans 8, 23 and 24. Now, this whole thing where people are just intrigued and amazed with Israel uh, is like somebody holding up a candle to you in the broad daylight and saying, man, look at this candle. Isn't it beautiful? Well, well the sun is more brilliant. We don't need the candle, in fact. I could see everything clearly in the light of the sun. Why are you trying to hold up a candle? In the same way, 
those people that's the those are the analogies in second corinthians 3 that paul is making to jewish people to tell them how much more fantastic and surpassing is what we have compared to what they had in the old testament now you think trying to shake a gentile out of looking at israel because they're intrigued about it is tough and it is when you think about it what about a Jew? One who is, that stuff was infused in their culture. That's what they thought about. That's what holidays were celebrated around. Or the feast days and all these things. And now, you're telling me there's something greater? Yes, Paul is saying. Something that's not even worth comparing to what they had. So far surpasses it. So keeping your head in the sand of Israel, right? and this is where a lot of people are today. Gentiles are that way. They, that's all they think about. right? When they think about the Bible, they don't understand the glories and the riches, the unsearchable wealth that's ours in this age. Now, I'm not referring to that to all of the things that we have in this age. God is. Those words are not mine. I'm borrowing them from the Bible. Talking about unsearchable wealth and the, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? We, we, these are not words I've assigned. These are words God has assigned. His, he values this information above all else. I mean, we ought to as well. But yes, people are stuck in the sand. They can't see. It's just like an ostrich who sticks their head in the sand and they don't see. I don't know what, if that's a true thing or not. But anyway, that is the, the, the metaphor. That they, they're, by doing that, you can't know about what the church age is. And having Romans 8, 23 and 4, not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what, he already, what they already have? So if, if, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That patient waiting is knowing. The hope is burning inside of us. But what can we do about it? We can respect and wait for God's timing, knowing that it's coming. But there's no question about whether it's reality, because we know what God has called us to. There's no question about that, about who we are and, and what it means and, and all the implications of what God has said about us. None of that is in question. But what is, is, well, God, I can't wait for this time. I've been looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the hope we have received. Many people will never know that because they're stuck. Their head is in the sand of Israel. They will not see past Israel. It's just like what Paul said about those Jews. He said, every time the book of the law is opened, these people swoon over it. <laughs> they lose themselves in this. 
and all, even though that information was temporary. They did not want that information to ever end. They did not want the glory of Israel to ever end under the old covenant. They wanted to keep it going so that they could continue to bask in the glory fading though it was. Yeah. So point G, let's move on. What is the master's business? I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. What is the master's business? We already said it. Literally, it is the father's eternal purpose. Yeah. That's what it is. The father's eternal purpose. So we, we, we already know. It's almost a common thought. So one, one of the... Um, the thoughts as I think about that is, you know, even though Christ says the, the master, he calls him the master's business, it's an analogy, right? <laughs> but who are the actors here? The father is the master. What is the business of the father? Uh, the, the business of the father is the eternal purpose of the father. Understanding through Jesus's metaphors how we ought to see these verses. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. So I'm no longer called you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, <clears throat> I have called you friends. So friends, let's talk about friends. So we have a special relationship based on our positioning in Christ. Now, the moment, as far as we know, maybe there was some significance for us prior to this point. I'm sure there must have been. We just don't know what it is. But the moment he chose you in him, that's Ephesians 1.4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. The moment he did that, you are no longer ordinary. You, you now have a special role in the eternal purpose of God. Why? Because he, he chose you in him before the creation of the world. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7 also states it another way. It talks about the heights to which he has raised us. 6 and 7 says, And God raised us up with Christ. So let's just... Let's just, if we stop right there where it says, and God raised, this is Ephesians 2, 6, and God raised us up with Christ. I'd like to go back to Ephesians 1 for a second to see where that is. So if we go back to 1, <clears throat> verse 21, let's just read what it says. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In other words, any future, the eternal future, that's it. That, there's nothing higher than this. If you want to know what that means, back to Ephesians 2, 6, where we are. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that we have a purpose clause. God is telling us why he did something as well. In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Notice, he's going to show 
something. He's not showing the incomparable accomplishments that we have made. It's the incomparable riches of his grace. It's not about us. It's about him. Expressed in kindness to us. Oh, the kindness is grace, right? To us in Christ Jesus. How do we get in Christ Jesus? Well, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. That's how. That's how you got there in the first place. So when we think about being friends, we already we have some understanding of the positioning that we need to have right there. If God hadn't done those things for you, you wouldn't be in this category. Point B. Jesus, he, he's already calling them friends. He says, I, I, I no longer call you servants. I'm calling you friends. He's already doing that. And, and it's based on what he knows will happen in the near future. Now, how do we know it? Right, John 14, he told them, this is where he first introduced it, right? In John 14, he says, um, and this is 16 and 17, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. In other words, he's an advocate for him. You're going to get another one to help you and to be with you forever. This is God the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. So that's the promise of the spirit. Jesus knows that this is going to happen for the disciples. And so he's already uh, calling them friends. And it's based on his knowledge his prophecy of how these disciples will receive the spirit of truth. When the spirit comes, when the spirit comes, he will do this. When the spirit comes, he will show you that. So that's what we have to anticipate. The disciples should have been anticipating what would happen when the spirit comes. So let's continue. So our friendship is based on the following. So let's just put these four points out. To understand what being a friend means. What does God consider it? Because it's not just because you had chosen in him before the foundation of the world and so forth and all that. There's other conditions to friendship. Let's talk about them. First point. It being, right? In other words, your friendship is based on it being church age appropriate. Now, I'm just putting this... You know how you see those uh, toys? This is Christmas time, you know, so if you're looking at toys for little children, you have to look at what is the age appropriateness of that gift. The child who receives it, you have to look at his age and say, well, he's only one, so he can't get a computer. That's not age appropriate. Uh, he may get something that, uh, you know, talks about what animals sound like and so forth. That might be fine. That's a, what we would call age appropriate for that child. But not something that he has to type and read and all. He doesn't have those skills yet. He hasn't learned those things. So it takes age appropriateness. Well, I'm saying that in order for you to be friends, you have to be what we would consider church age appropriate. Now, of course... Just like a child has to learn those skills 
to understand the things uh, what, what we're going to talk about, which is the Father's eternal purpose and all that. Well, you have to have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't come until the church age. In other words, the Holy Spirit inaugurated the church. The church age began with the coming of the Holy Spirit in this new and living way. So that's an important point. Uh, a person could say they're friends, and there, we did mention in last week's message about Moses and Abraham as also being friends of God. But their friendship was based on what Israel had. So while the friends metaphor may have worked for them, God spoke to Moses face to face, and he really let Abraham, he, he, he made known to him what his plans were with, with regard to Israel as well. But here we're talking about people who are privy to the Father's eternal purpose, right? The thoughts and intents of his heart from eternity past. What was God thinking? Right? That's what he made known to us. And we're also, if we know that information, then we're able to be friends. It's, it's important. You know, that you have to be in this age. Yes, that is so. If you were in the age of Israel, well, it was hidden from you. You couldn't have this information. Or what if you're in an age after the church? Well, like the tribulation or whatever, the millennium. Well, people know this information, but it doesn't pertain to them. They're not part of the calling many out many sons into glory. They will recognize that. Okay, so let's keep going. The second thought of how, you know, what is our friendship based on? It's based on receiving the hidden revelation. We just talked about it briefly. It's Ephesians 3, 2 and 3. Uh, I've quoted this almost every week. I'm not going to fail this week either. So Ephesians 3, 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. So yes, this information is important to us. It is poignant to us. Um, and then there's uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 2, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. I will read it. 1 Corinthians 2 says, We have received... What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that, why do we get it? He's the spirit of truth, remember. So that we may understand what God has freely given us. Well, the spirit of truth, we may understand. That's important, right? That's, that's the, the hammer hitting the nail on the head, right? <laughs> the spirit of truth is not the spirit of emotion. The spirit of truth is not the spirit of, well, I got a hunch. Right? I just got a feeling. I just know. No, the spirit of truth uses the word of truth in order to make it real to us. Right? That's what's important about the spirit of truth. Oh, let's get back to our verse. What we, have, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely, he didn't make us earn it, this is ours. He has freely given to us. It's graciously 
given to us. We don't have to earn it or deserve it. It belongs to us. That's why he's given it to us. Holy Spirit is here to help us receive it. Now, some people won't even receive it. They're like, no, I don't want this. If that's the information, what it, I don't want it. And then people on the other side of it say, yeah, I've received it, but I don't really care. I think Israel's is more exciting. Right? I don't know about what you're talking about. Unless we merge it with what Israel did, then I'm not interested. There are people who are like that. So, what is the next verse? This is what we speak, Paul says. This is what we speak. You know, he's not talking about the law. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught us by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Now, you know, I remember years ago, some, pe- some people used to think that the ministry of the Spirit, you know, they'd look at it, well, well, they had the law and we have the Spirit. Well, the law was very direct and, you know, God told them exactly what they needed to do, but the Spirit, well, sort of nebulous. It's like he may move us, you know, to do something, and he may not. He may do move something, oh, mighty. The Spirit moves in mysterious ways. Nobody can know. That's not true. That is not true. In fact, the Spirit is more direct than the law. The guidance of the Spirit, where he says he will lead and guide us into all truth, is more direct and poignant and and instructive than the law could ever be. The Spirit gets inside of us in our will and helps us to understand what is truth and helps us, empowers us to walk in it. So don't look at those things. These are people who are trying to understand the Spirit, and they thought the Spirit was some mysterious entity. And even gave him a name, like Holy Ghost. People love that. They're like, oh, I never can tell what the Holy Ghost will do. He will do this and he will do that. No, the Holy Spirit operates in definable terms and clear and direct direction. There's no ambiguous or uh, ambivalence with God the Holy Spirit. He's clear. Don't look at that. Paul is saying, this is what we talk about. Not in things taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit. So there's, there is a learning curve here. I don't expect you to automatically have some intuition or intuitively know what the Spirit teaches. No, you have to learn these things. That's what we're doing here, in fact, on Sundays and Wednesdays. and That's the point. Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. I don't care what you've learned in the world and how detailed and, you know, uh, and, you know how uh, in- intricate it is. When you learn the information that God has given us through the Spirit, you're learning the deep things. That's... Whatever that was in the world can't compare to what we have in the Spirit and what He can teach us and what we can learn. Our learning goes beyond human capabilities when we have the Spirit teaching us, beyond what I ear or has entered into the mind can conceive. So, if you want to talk about what is God, 
what is he about? And only the spirit of truth can reveal that to you. So, of course, I get excited a little bit thinking about some of this stuff. Sorry. Let's keep back to your notes. Point number two, receiving the hidden revelation, right? And assets from the spirit of truth. So it's not just, so you have to receive it, right? It's not just a matter of um, you, here's some background noise, excuse me. Uh, let me let me help you out here. So it's not just about receiving information. It's you gotta embrace this information. So, so and the assets from the spirit of truth. Well, if you're in the church age and you believe in Christ, you receive the ministries of the spirit, the baptism of the spirit, indwelling, the feeling, the feeling of the spirit. <laughs> The filling of the Spirit, the gifting of the Spirit, right? These are all things you receive the moment you believe in Christ. This, these are the assets that we now have as believers in this age. Everybody gets those. Uh, it's not like some people get them and some people don't. Everybody, every believer gets those. So before, so learning how to understand and how to depend on God for what he has given us. You know, those things are related to what Christ is called friends. If you, I'm calling you friends. Well, that means you've, you've understood the revelation. You're depending on God for your understanding of those things. And he has led you into truth so that you can now understand who he is, what he's done. Point That leads us to point number three. This is important for our, our friendship here. It's not just, well, God called me friend, I'm a friend, that's it. No, it's conditional on your response. And let's look at your response. Our response, uh, our proper response of loving obedience as the hope of our calling replaces our reality in Adam. Right? That's loving obedience. It's not just... Well, if God said it, I better do it. I don't understand it, but if he said it, I'm going to make sure I cross every T and dot every I. No, it's loving response. In other words, it, it is the proper response. Like, just like Christ says, I love the Father, I do exactly what the Father has commanded me to do. If you love me, obey my commandments. The one who obeys my commandments, he's the one who loves me. And this is the, so why I say it's not just obedience. Our response just can't be obedience. Our response has to be loving obedience. That's loving is the motivation. Obedience is the result. And that replaces our, our reality in Adam. So we obey reality in Adam naturally. Because that's what we see before us. Well, what we see now, we are walking by faith and not by sight. Point number four. Our friendship is extended to other believers as well. In other words, we're not to just say, oh, yeah, we're friends of God. But the point of all of this is to, is to talk about there is this exclusive circle of friends. And I can even say that with Christ when he walked around with his disciples. There were certain disciples. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm going to call you Peter, you James, and you John. You come and often he would leave the other disciples behind. Now, just note, the disciples is not just based on Peter, James, and John. It's based on all of them. 
that's the foundation. But Jesus had an inner circle of disciples. And you could say, in a sense, when we think about us as friends, there's an inner circle of understanding. You know, it's like we were talking about in the notes. It's a common cooperative understanding that we have that makes us friends. We respect that you, uh, that I respect that you are, are a child of God, predestined according to the purpose of his will and all of that. I respect all of that. And that's what friendship is based on. That's what being a friend of God is based on. That Not only do we know his plan, we believe his plan, we love it, and we want to obey. It's not, you told me to do it, I got to do it. No, I love it too. I want to do it. So point, that leads us to point D. is an honor and privilege to be chosen for this special purpose before the creation of the world. It is a privilege that we have this. I mean, we shouldn't, hopefully you got that. You get that thought. that It's a privilege. So let's continue. So he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. There's a difference between servants and friends. And we saw what it is. We went through it. Point number three, for everything I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. For my first thought of looking at this is yes, everything. He said it. I didn't. And I just agree and believe and I know this is true. Everything that Jesus has from the Father, we have. He's, we are privileged to know the fullness of the Father's plan. I mean, we talked about that, This, the intents of his heart, how privileged we are to be in this position because he chose us in him before the creation of the world. We now have what I would call full disclosure. And there's nothing hidden from us. It, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. The riches God calls them are unsearchable wealth. Information that precedes the creation of all things belongs to us. And it's not just, it doesn't just belong to us. We don't just know stuff about God. We know stuff about us, that we were in the plan and what God planned around us. It pertains to us. That's why there's more emphasis that we need to go get this information, bask in this information, understand the wisdom that was destined for our time, our glory. Before time began. So, throwing this in, uh, in the military, information was given on a need-to-know basis. Only those in the highest rank will be privy to the secrets, the motives, and strategy. They would all have to have the top, what, they, what was considered in the military, a top security clearance. Even companies have that, right? We're talking about corporations. They don't just let everybody in the whole corporation know everything about what their motives, what their strategy is. Sometimes they got to hold that back because just people, they talk and they don't know. Sometimes they say the wrong thing. They misconstrue information. They don't know what to do with information. That's why it's a need-to-know basis. Well, so they've given 
levels of security. You can have this level, that level, but when you get to the top level of security, that means everything is known. Nothing is hidden from you. You know everything. That's what God has given us. We're not just talking about some government or country or some company or and their company secrets. We're talking about God. He says, Christ says, everything I've learned from my Father, everything I have made known to you. We, who are we that we should be in this position? We're friends. That's who we are. This is the analogy. That's what friends do. He's, the whole Father's eternal purpose was shared with us. This is, our, this is about who we are. This is our life. We have everything. Nothing withheld. That can't be said for Israel or others, right? Other dispensations. That can't be said of them. God held this information back. Who's, why did he hold it back? Who, who would have known? Well, they would have known. Angels would have known. And yet it did not pertain to anybody but us. So who, what does he do? He, he reserved it in him for us. We have this information in the full, in its entirety. Points. This also goes along, we're almost done. This also goes along with the scripture that is found in John 16, 15, where Jesus says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is really that whole understanding of uh, the adoption. He's the Son, the Father gives everything over to the Son, all authority, all power. Just like Christ said after he was resurrected, he says, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Everything has been given to me. Now imagine, you are united to that person. That is who you are. That's the plan. Well, this is what Christ said anyway in John. He says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. He didn't say, well, I'm receiving it. He, 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 he just said it's his. I, how, why can't we say that about information that belongs to us? It's not just we receive it. This is information of God that he's sharing with us. No, it's mine. That's what Christ said. And when we think about this information, it's ours. And that is why I said, Christ says, this is Christ speaking, that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So, no loss or demutation in information here. There's no decreasing value of what Christ had and now he only tells us parables. No, he gives us everything that he has from the Father and now we have the information in the full. That's It belongs to us. It's ours. And that's what the Spirit makes known to us. So we, we, there's no information that is lost here. The method of communication from the Father to the Son to the Spirit to us is without loss. In fact, the Father, Son, the Spirit, the Spirit has... He is the mind of God. He's the, he was there. He could tell us exactly what happened. It's not like we have somebody who can tell us partially what they saw. 
the Holy Spirit, who is God, takes from the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ was received from everything the Father had. He gave to Christ. We have a broken, unbroken rather, chain of communication and information that is ours. So, we're going to have to close. I know it's getting late in the hour here. But, point D, we will conclude with, we have the spirit of truth to ensure. That means to confirm, right? To guarantee that we have all the information from God. There is literally nothing lost. And then, so, what is the limitation here? Why don't you have it all? Why didn't God just zap you with this information and then you have it? He's giving you an opportunity to express your desire, your will, in receiving it and understanding it, to, of walking in its truth in time, to express love and obedience toward the Father's plan for yourself. So, and, and I just make this statement, we are only limited by our arrogance and our willful ignorance. And we'll close with that thought. Because that's, if you don't have it, and you've been here for a while, then this will be the reason why. You can't, you can't say, well, you know, the Father didn't properly give it to the Son, and the Son doesn't properly have it, and the Holy Spirit doesn't, uh, he didn't give it properly to the Holy, and the Holy Spirit may not be doing his job. You can't say any of those things. It is all about you and God. It's, it's available. He's freely given this information to us. Nothing is withheld. Everything is ours. We have, as it says, the mind of Christ. We will close with that thought. We'll continue with this context next week. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We'll talk about it more next week. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. We're privileged and honored to be in the position we're in. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about us. It doesn't matter how they feel about us or where we have landed in this world on the battlefield. What matters is what you did from eternity past that allows for us to live and breathe in this age. We want to say thank you. We appreciate your choice and, and what you've done, the assets provided, the glories that are soon to follow. Thank you. And we pray for this church that we could be a light on a hill for those who don't know these things, who have been resisting these things. But, Lord, give us the wisdom and the, the knowledge, the words to be able to share with them this mystery, this information that was hidden that is now revealed for our age. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.